At the end of the last message in the book of James, we looked at the idea of anointing someone with oil in the name of the Lord, and we talked about the prayer of faith. And we'll continue with that a little bit more, but we're going to get into the idea of divine healing. How can we be healed? And we're also going to talk about those who wander from the faith, wanderers. James will leave us with a charge of how to go after and turn wanderers back to the truth. Man, we need this divine prescription for healing, and we'll find out more today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. There's a story about a gentleman who says, I was in a church in Oregon not too long ago and I prayed for a man, this is a pastor talking, who had cancer. In the middle of the week, I got a telephone call from his wife. She said, you prayed for my husband, he had cancer. And I said, had? And I was thinking, whoa, something good's happened here. And she said, he died. He said, I felt terrible. She continued, don't feel bad. When he came into church, into that church last Sunday, he was filled with anger. He, know, he knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time, and he hated God. He was 58 years old, and he wanted to see his children, grandchildren grow up. He was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. The more his anger towards God grew, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. After you prayed for him, a peace came over him and a joy had come into him. She says, Pastor, the last three days have been the best days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read scripture, we prayed. Oh, they've been wonderful days. And I call to thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for healing. And then she said something incredibly profound we need to hear. She said, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. And death, you know, is the ultimate healing for the Christian, right? For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. We are actually going to be healed of all these besetting maladies of this fallen world when we die. And of course, in the resurrection, when we get this new body and in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. These are things we must factor in as we look at uh, verses like this. Do you, do you want to be made well? There are some people who, you know, in their given situation, they don't want to follow the divine prescription for healing. Maybe you are in that boat this morning. Maybe you've been fighting God in different ways and God's trying to get your attention. There is a divine prescription for healing. And here's, a, a, therefore, a connecting word in verse 16. Therefore, in light of what James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Would you notice, Bible students, that how can you do these kinds of one another commands unless you're in community? This is very communal. This is very body of Christ, body life oriented. How can you fulfill what we just read in James 5.16 unless you are with other Christians? How can you pray for one another? How can you confess to one another so that you may be healed unless you're in a community or a local church of saints. And so here's the idea of confession. What does it mean to confess sin? It means to acknowledge. It means to agree fully. 
It means to say the same thing. That's the idea of the word. To agree with God about your sin and to confess it. Confession really goes with repentance. How can you really repent of a sin unless you've confessed it to God? And so I want to give you some guidelines here. And I want to tell you that this is body life. This is not you going to a priest to confess and get absolution. I don't see that in this passage. This is to one another. This is a community of believers. You could envision a small group. You could envision a group of friends that you have that are Christians. And you open up to someone. And I would say to you, if you confess to someone, just make sure it's someone that you trust. And make sure it's someone that doesn't struggle with gossip. Amen? Some guidelines. The area of commission of sin should be the area of confession. If you're a note taker, the area of commission should be the area of confession. If you sinned against somebody, that's the person you should go and confess that sin to. You should go to them. There are certain sins that maybe you just have to do some business with God like David did after his sin with Bathsheba. He had some other fixing to do, but he confessed his sin to God. He said, against you and you alone have I sinned. Your sin and my sin is first of all vertical, but it is also horizontal. I need to confess to God and then it's in the area of commission. Number two, if you're gonna confess your sin, make sure you test your motives. Choose carefully, take it to the Lord in prayer. And if you do confess it to someone, make sure that there's an agreement that you're gonna leave it there. I would also say keep short accounts with God. Leave sin behind and understand that what it is and get to a point where you loathe it. You, you are tired of confessing the same sin. <laughs> Another point. Don't confess sin just to get attention for yourself. Don't go before a group of people and say, yeah, I can top that. My life is such a shambles. You won't believe what I did this week, right? Sometimes there's an unhealthy situation where someone wants to throw out all their dirty laundry to be the center of attention. Please don't do that. Make sure that if you're gonna confess sin, it's because there's something that you're truly wrestling with and you need others to come alongside you. There are people who have an unhealthy obsession with attention and sharing the details of their sin. Uh, R. Kent Hughes calls it a perverted moral pleasure in airing one's dirty laundry. It's not healthy. And it's unhealthy both ways. It's unhealthy for the person airing their dirty laundry and it's unhealthy for the person listening. Especially if one gets overly morbid about their confession with getting into the details. Oh, tell me more. It can, it can actually turn into a sinful thing. We've got to be careful. I also would warn you against hyper-introspection. You know, there are times in life when you just have to cut yourself a break and realize you're a person who's still struggling with the world, the flesh, and the devil, just like all of us. Amen? Amen. If you are nitpicking yourself to death, would you stop? Would you allow yourself to receive the same grace that you preach to others? It's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes we preach it to others, but then we expect perfection from ourselves. You're not going to be perfect. Your life, your Christian life is not about perfection, but it is about direction. It's about the overarching theme of your life. Not that you're not going to stumble from time to time. And please make sure 
that you avoid spiritual aggression or passive aggressiveness, don't go to a person and say, I'd like to confess a bunch of bad thoughts that I've been having about you in the last couple of years. <laughs> I need to get this off my chest. Please don't tell me all the bad thoughts that you've had about me in the last couple of years. I really don't want to know. <laughs> now, I would say confess those to God and leave them there and then just stop. I think that would be a good thing. Don't make confession about a religious routine. Don't make it about, oh, my system of belief says I've got to do this to be right with God, so I'm just going to go ahead and I'll, I'll circle through the carousel and confess whatever I can think of so that I can do my routine so I can be right with God because that's something that they said you got to do. No. Confession comes from the heart. It's a heartfelt, Lord, I've sinned against you. I don't want to do this. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. What does confession do? It purifies, it restores, it removes the hindrances to pure fellowship. Confession and repentance go together. Confession leads to healing. There's a mutual confession here to one another, not to an elite priesthood. And the result is so that, look at the verse, so that you may be healed. You confess so that you may be healed. Confession, we often joke, is good for the soul, but it actually is. Because when you make things right with an individual that you've sinned against, or especially with God, there's a healing that takes place. There's an honesty, a transparency that leads to healing. Remember, there's one God and one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Christ Jesus. And when you confess sin, you go to our high priest who can sympathize and empathize with your weaknesses. Do you know that about Jesus? He actually can sympathize and empathize with your weaknesses because he was in all points tested as we, yet without sin. But he still has compassion for us. He knew Peter was going to fall. And he said, Peter, when you've turned again, Encourage your brethren. He, he knows what we face. He knows the sins that so easily entangle us. And he tells us, run this race. Break the chains. Keep your eyes on me. I love you. I've never stopped loving you. There's a range of healing that takes place because the issue here is sin in verse 16. And so the issue could be spiritual healing, emotional healing. It's a broad range which could include, of course, physical healing, which we saw in verse 15. When this is done right, when it is spirit-directed, it can become a fuel for revival, personal revival and church revival. When we get sin out into the light where it loses power, sin has its greatest power when we keep it in the dark, when we hide it, but when we put it into the light, sin loses its power, but it's hard to put it into the light because we don't want anybody to know. But when we confess it, sometimes here's what happens. It comes into the light, and all of a sudden, it doesn't look so powerful anymore or so overwhelming. One writer says, such confession was at the heart of a small group meeting which fueled the Methodist movement. Indeed, confession has been at the heart of periodic revivals which have graced the American church since New England's Great Awakening. And so we have this idea of confessing sin. And then notice at the end of 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. 
Now, Elijah's going to be the example, but remember Elijah. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. When we put it into the light, sin loses its power. But it's hard to put it into the light because we don't want anybody to know. But when we confess it, sometimes here's what happens. It comes into the light and all of a sudden it doesn't look so powerful anymore or so overwhelming. One writer says such confession was at the heart of a small group meeting which fueled the Methodist movement. Indeed, confession has been at the heart of periodic revivals which have graced the American church since New England's great awakening. And so we have this idea of confessing sin. And then notice at the end of 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, Elijah's going to be the example, but remember, Elijah had a like nature as ours. Sometimes we feel, man, I'm not the person to pray in this situation because I don't have the goods. I'm not a super saint. Does it take a super saint to have an effective prayer? No. All it, do, all it takes is a righteous person, a person who's trying to live right, a person who's in communion with God has the power of prayer behind them because behind prayer is the power of God. And so you, if you're walking with the Lord Jesus and someone calls you to a situation, you don't have to call the church office. Just go pray for them. Just go pray. There may be some situations where you need to call a pastor, maybe a situation where you don't know what to do. But in most cases, if you're walking with the Lord Jesus, this is about the body of Christ and this is about us praying. And it would be good, don't you think, that on a Sunday morning, all around the room, after a sermon is given, after worship is given, that there would be prayer going on for one another. This is about the body of Christ. This is about community. This is about something much more than coming into a building and being an observer or listening to a message and then you go on your way without being healed because you didn't take the extra steps of the implications of the word of God. James says, don't just hear the word and don't do anything with it. If God has convicted you in a certain area, do business with him now. Amen? Amen. Do it now. Because the enemy says, put it off, put it off, put it off. You say, well, Pastor Michael, I'm not like Elijah. 
This is, this is the guy that battled Ahab and Jezebel. He took on the prophets of Baal. He raised the dead. He multiplied a widow's oatmeal and oil, meal and oil. He, he ate from the beaks of ravens. He feasted in the wilderness with, from the hands of angels. He foretold a famine of, uh, and the coming rain. He outran Ahab's chariot to Jezreel. This dude was fat. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah is coming. Malachi 4. He's one of the two witnesses in Revelation 11. This dude is a super saint. Oh, but he had his moments. Remember when he was alone? I think he was in the cave and he said, Lord, I'm the only one left. Just kill me now. <laughs> it's too much. There are times when I feel like a super saint and times when I feel like a super ain't. <laughs> right? The qualifications for an effective prayer is just simply that you're trying to walk with God. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was human. And he prayed earnestly. Literally, he prayed with prayer or pray, in prayer he prayed. It was fervent that it might not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Do you know why Elijah's prayer was so effective? Because he prayed God's will. And the Lord held back the rain for three and a half years because that's what God wanted to do in the land at that time. And often, if not always, here's what happens. Your prayers simply become a channel to tap into God's will. If we pray according to his will, we know that he hears us and we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If you pray outside his will, He's not going to answer you. And if you get, if you pray for something and you get something outside God's will, look out. You don't want it. Do you want to be outside the will of God? Then, then don't pray for things that are unbiblical. I really believe I'm the exception and I should be living with my boyfriend. No, you're not the exception. That's outside of God's will. Frankly, you don't even need to pray about that one. You don't. Because there's a scripture verse that says, be pure until you're married. Hello? But I prayed about it. Well, you didn't hear the voice of God. <laughs> More things are wrought by prayer, says Tennyson, than this world dreams of. Wherefore, let thy voice rise like a fountain for me night and day. For what are men better than sheep and goats that nourished a blind life within the brain? If knowing God, they lift not hands of prayer, both for themselves and those who call them friend. For so the whole round earth is every way bound by gold chains about the feet of God. Why do we not pray? Why don't we seek the face of our Father? Why don't we spend time with him? It's been said that the devil fears most a saint on his or her knees. And this is why when you try to get into a pattern of prayer, the enemy will oppose you at every turn. He doesn't want you praying, and he certainly doesn't want you reading your Bible. Now, unlike a lot of the letters in the New Testament that end with a benediction or greetings to different individuals, James ends his book with a charge, and it's glorious. 
And it's so fitting for the book of James because James has been rubber meets the road in my kitchen for five chapters. Would I expect any less at the end of the book of James? Uh Uh-uh. He doesn't say, all right, the Lord bless you, brethren. Hang in there. The love of the spirit, the joy. No, he says, my brethren, get busy. (laughs) If any among you, any among you, any one of your number strays from the truth, And one turns him back. My brethren, we are the subject, the church. If any among you strays, who is this straying individual? Are they someone who is a true Christian who has apostatized and they've gone out into the world much like the prodigal and they're in trouble? Are they a professing Christian that was never born again, and so they've strayed because they don't know Jesus anyway. May I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that if you want to understand these issues and hear what Jesus said, Jesus told a key parable. It's called the parable of the sower or the soils. Do you remember he gave us four kinds of soils? One was the seed beside the road, and the birds quickly come and and grab that seed, and that's a picture of Satan stealing the word because the seed of the word of God, the gospel, just sits on the surface. It does, there's no penetration. And then there's the rocky soil convert, so to speak. And this is a person that the seed goes in, but there's no root, there's no depth. There's limestone underneath in Israel. And so what happens is it sprouts quickly and there seems to be joy and a great response, but there's no root. And so the sun scorches it. Times of persecution come and so forth and it, it doesn't bear any fruit. There's a third one. It's, it, it's the seed sown among the thorns, remember? And here's a seed that begins to grow up like a lot of our plants in Corona. And it starts to get choked by these weeds that seem to need no water and seem to come from some alien planet. They have prickly things on them and they begin to wrap your good plants. Ah! And here's the picture. It's the cares of this world. It's the deceitfulness of riches and it chokes the word. And the word produces no crop. And then the fourth soil is one that's sown among the good soil. It's been prepared, it's receptive, and it bears a crop 30 what is it, 30, 60, and 100-fold. It bears a harvest. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, says Jesus. You think James heard that sermon? Only one of the soils produces fruit, produces a crop. The other soils that received the same seed did not produce, and here's why. The issue is the condition of the soil which in the parable is a synonym for your heart. This is really what it all boils down to. How receptive are you as an individual? In Hebrew thought, your heart is the center of your mind, will, emotions, and intellect. It's the core of who you are. When the seed goes forth, does it go into your heart? Is your intention when you hear the word of God to actually do it? Well, some people say yes, but then there's, You know, the the seed is plucked or it doesn't go deep or it gets choked off. Persecution or the cares of this world. This is what Jesus said. And Jesus indicated, by the way, that this parable unlocks all the other parables. 
It gives us a view of what's happening oftentimes on a Sunday morning when a group gathers or a harvest crusade where there's a huge response and then you do follow-up at the harvest crusade. And I've done it. And you call and you say, hey, we've got a new believers class and we'd love for you to come and you live in our city. And they say, oh, oh I, I, no, I just walked down on the field because I wanted to pluck a couple blades of grass where Mike Trout stands. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the crusade. Praise God for much fruit that's happened there. But I'm saying the soils are represented when people walk down. Because the real test will be in five, ten years when I watch that person's life and see how they're doing. To find out what was really going on there. Now, I'm not saying that it's not a battle for genuine Christians because we all know it is. I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation. If you're a genuine Christian who's battling the world, the flesh, and the devil, that's not the intent here. But the intent is for you to know that the reality is that only one in four of these soils actually produced a harvest, produced a crop. Hey, listening family, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you another exciting thing about walkintruth.com. It's the store that's there. There's some great products up there on some intriguing subjects available in CD and DVD format. When you purchase one of those products, you actually support the radio ministry and help us reach out to more people like you. It's walkintruth.com. Click on the store, check it out, get a product, and you'll be partnering with us in the gospel ministry. We appreciate you. We love you. God bless you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.